What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Guide Series podcast. We're on episode 10, and I got a special guest for you guys here tonight. Um, this will be airing out tomorrow, Friday. But tonight, I got Cam Maxson on the Guide Series podcast, and I'm glad you're on, man. Say hello to the listeners out there. Thanks for having me, Hunter. Honestly, good to get on a podcast and talk to you. I'm listening to your guys' stuff and enjoy it a lot. I appreciate it, man. A uh, little background information for the listeners out there. I usually got my co-host, Sean Geary. Uh, say what up, Sean. Yeah, well, that's because he's not there. And I'm kind of mad about it. I'm not mad about it. He's he's doing uh, – his archery season just came in in New York. So, he said he's he has some commitments. And uh, I know he's been working his ass off in the fire department, uh, fire academy thing. So, I'm like, hey, no worries, dude. You go on yourself but just let you guys know i'm solo doling it tonight and uh so anyway it it should be should be a doozy but i got a lot of questions for cam we're going to cover a bunch of stuff um so cam just start us off with uh kind of who you are how old you are where you're from kind of give us the basics i'm a 25 year old kid from a small town in illinois grew up and we didn't really have a lot to do around here i'm sure most people get that small town idea so we hunted, we fished, we did all that, played sports in high school, went to college, did a degree. And when I left college, I decided I wasn't going to use my degree and I was going to do construction. Started doing construction, got laid off my first winter. And long ago, I realized that I did not want to be a guide. And that was not what I wanted to do. I just wanted to hunt with friends. And when I got laid off, that was the only thing I could think to do over the winter. So I emailed some uh, outfitters around me, got a call from one. He wanted me to guide for him that winter and turned out it was something that I fell in love with never wanted to do anything else. And now that's where I'm at is all I want to do is guide for a job and just have to do something in the off season. Yeah, that's awesome. What do you, uh, we'll get to, I'm going to, I want to ask that question on why you didn't want to guide, but we'll get back around to that. And I circled it on my little notes here. But what do you do for construction? Because I'm in the construction industry. Uh, do a lot of roofs, uh, car- indoor carpentry, siding, just about anything except for entire house remodels. You're just a, hand- you're just a handyman. Yeah, that's all. I wow. grew up doing it with my dad, and he taught me pretty much everything I know. I wish I was good. I, I, do-, I do GPS and surveying, and it's not bad, but – I wish I could do something with my hands because if the only thing I can put together is like a Walmart like bed frame or something like that with it's got to be instructions and yeah it's got it's got to be laid out for me in detail because if not I will find a way to fuck it up big time yeah no I learned from a guy who did it for a long time and my dad's always available to call if I have questions he always helps me out so that's cool that's really cool well um so you're from Illinois, a great, great waterfowling in Illinois. Um, I've never waterfowled in Illinois yet. Um, I lived there when I played hockey, though. I lived in uh, Crystal Lake. Uh, do you know where Crystal Lake's at? Yeah, you're north. Yeah, I'm north of the city, or I was north of the city, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know where it's at, but I don't at the same time. I can pick it out on a map, but that's about it. I had a bunch of, I had a bunch of teammates um, from – Chicago as well and we'd always go and travel to Chicago and play we'd always like you know it was like back in our younger days when we were traveling around and we'd go to a tournament and then you know we had our teammates were from there so like their parents would like cook dinner you know have drinks and have the parents over kind of thing and their houses were out in the middle of nowhere like cornfields on every side and you know I remember like being in the car and they were like, you know, golly, like this is freaking like hour and a half away, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like looking out the window, like watching geese, like hit other, like every other field. I'm like, gosh, damn, this is so cool. But it has great goose hunting. Tell us about kind of how you got into waterfowl uh, in, in Illinois. Uh, my grandpa's actually the one who got me into it. He took me on my first youth duck hunt when I was 13, I think. And I went pheasant hunting with him growing up and all I wanted to do is hunt with him. He took me sporting clay shooting, did everything I could with him and turned into hunting. Then my first youth hunt was really 
uneventful. <laughs> have one group of ducks come in and shoot out of a boat, never done it before, dropped a leg on one mallard, and that was it. Never found him, nothing. So then after that, all I want to do is kill a duck. Next year, we go on the youth hunt, shot my six birds in like 30 minutes. Wow, so a banger. Four heater. species. Just a heater yeah. of a hunt. Yeah, after that, I was hooked. All I want to do is learn how to call birds. I want to learn how to do everything that my grandpa had showed me. Yeah. I just wanted to do it as best I could. I got you. Yeah. Well, I feel like, I, I feel like once you get like on a, like for new, for new people getting on a good hunt, once you get on a good hunt, it's just like literally sticking the needle right in you and you're just, you're hooked. I mean, like it, oh, yeah. it's, it's the, it's a worst slash worst slash best feeling. And I, and I say, and I say worse because, um, you know, probably worst you you realize it's the worst feeling after because you start spending a bunch of money on on shit and you're always broke but it's the best feeling because you have like a new yeah, hobby always stuff you don't need yeah always stuff you do not need exactly yep this yeah, but this. it might be the next thing might work <laughs> it right. don't matter if it's 100 bucks <laughs> that's right that's right it's like jake jake and i bought uh the the other guy that helps me on the podcast we bought uh we bought those um those uh mo marsh layout blinds that sit up out out, uh, out the water yeah oh. we use those down at the lodge do you okay yeah. they, i haven't you we haven't used them yet some guy on craigslist this is just this is not how to do anything with this podcast but this is so important to tell everybody that I, the way i found them on craigslist and they're like they were like 399 350 they're 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 pretty expensive this guy yeah they're pretty penny yeah this guy on craigslist sold them to us for a hundred and like twenty five dollars a piece. He had two of them. Didn't he, didn't even use them. It was like some guy who like liked waterfowl hunting. Probably went to Arkansas and thought he needed them, but never used them. And we stole them from him, basically. Yeah, those things are they're awesome to hide in, but like guiding out of them is one of the hardest things to do yeah. because you can't pay attention to what your guys next to you are doing. Yes, making sure everybody's safe, but. God, those things brush in so nice. Do they? It's I can, unreal. I can only imagine like getting like in a in like a rice field or something and being, you know, being out where the ducks actually want to be and you know, away from a pit. Dude, I think they're well, I think we're gonna hammer some birds in them. I'm pumped actually. Oh yeah. Just grass them up and just put them right out in the middle, right next to each other. They look great. They don't stand out either, even though it's what you're almost trying to do in spots. Right, right, exactly. Well, did you um, in Illinois? Did you hunt like mostly public land or private land, or like how is it up in Illinois? Or is it just like permissions? Uh, I mean, honestly, our public land is terrible for the most part. We just, I don't like the way it's run. So difficult. I started hunting public land, and the place was Braidwood Lake in northern Illinois. And you show up, there's twenty five or 26 blinds on it and in the morning you show up put your name in a hat first name comes out gets first picked until there's nothing left and on any given day there's probably four of those blinds really worth hunting after you get about pick 12 every morning depending on where the wind's at it's not even worth going so most people pass at that point but started most of our goose hunting i could say all of our goose hunting is private ground farmers we know and just scouting around and asking guys huh. interesting because the the i feel like illinois is more of a horn state anyway so do you think do you think like you're you know like here twra in tennessee but whatever your wildlife officer or you know department is do you think they more so gear the public land towards deer hunting and managing it for that or is there is there is there still good uh public land for waterfowling i mean the illinois river public lands can be really good and i've hunted it on days it's been really good and i've also hunted it days it wasn't so good but like braidwood you have to have a boat and a boat line you have to stay by your like within 10 feet of your stake or something like that mm -hmm. and all the boats stick out because you can't cut the vegetation around it which i get right and 
birds get educated so quick. The river tends to be a little easier. There's a lot more birds most of the time, but it really depends on if you just pay attention to pushes and things like that here on our public grounds. I got you. And the river up there probably doesn't, it probably was probably one of the last places to freeze too, I'd imagine. I really don't know. I don't head that way during the winter ever. I got you. Like I've hunted it early December, but never been there past a breeze. I got you. So let's get into how you started guiding in Illinois. So, you know, you got to a point, well, let's go back a little bit. You said you didn't want to guide and you just wanted to hunt with friends. Is there like, you know, was there anything more to that? You just, or is that just simply straight up? You just wanted to hunt with your friends and have fun. I was always taught don't mix work and pleasure. I was also told you guide, you don't shoot. And at that point, when I thought that I still wanted to kill everything I came in by myself. And I think once I got older, I started to realize like the shooting part wasn't the big thing. And that's a big reason I started taking cameras with me, but I just enjoy like the calling aspect of it anymore. I mm-hmm. kind of matured out of the shooting pretty quickly. Don't worry. I mean, I still like to shoot my fair. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But For sure. Just not so much. I want to kill, kill, kill now. I got you. It's just the fact of watching it and being there every day. Right. I understand. So how'd you get into the guiding gig in, in Illinois? What, I guess, how old were you when you started guiding in Illinois? 19, I think. No, I think I was 21, 21. Yeah. I emailed three companies in Northern Illinois by Braidwood and one wasn't looking for any guides. One I thought was an outfitter, but they weren't. They were just a club, private club. And the third emailed me back and they were looking for a guy during the week to help out. So I went up there, met the guy. His name is Mike Matlock. And I owe a lot of stuff to him. He's been great to me, still keeping contact. And he had me blow a goose call for him. And about two weeks later, I went out and met some of the guys. And I was off guiding. That's awesome. And that was it. Was that a good experience? Like just for like your first guide service working for him? Yeah, it was completely different than like what we do now. Cause I mean, I went home every night. Our quote unquote lodge was a trailer that just clients met us at in the mornings. And we had like seven or eight pits around Braidwood Lake. And yeah, it wasn't anything like I do now. It was kind of a good work up to it because you get the idea of how the hunts run and everything like that but you don't get the idea of living on top of each other or being with clients 24 7 right right and we'll get into that aspect um we'll get into aspect here in a minute um was there a lot of guides in illinois like is it pretty competitive as far as you know guides like chasing the same group of birds or no, we really don't have a lot of guide services that I know of because I really don't pay – I've never really paid attention to what is here, I guess. We have a lot of snow goose guides, southern Illinois. Uh, there's some goose guides in northern Illinois, but other than that, there's just really not a ton, I'd say. I got you. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of guides you can pay 100 bucks a day and go shoot geese with, but – nobody with a real name or anything that I can think of. I gotcha. And I, well, I feel like all the time too, um, you know, you get like on those Facebook forums and, and stuff or like, you know, waterfowl pages where they're selling stuff. I feel like everything majority of the time is coming out of Illinois. Like someone's selling a trailer from Illinois, someone's selling decoys from Illinois, someone's selling layouts or whatever it is. It's always coming from Illinois. I feel like there's a lot of waterfowl hunters, in illinois yeah we got i mean we got quite a few and i think a lot of it like i've noticed a lot of guys selling stuff because our geese just don't push like they used to like growing up hunting braid around braidwood i remember like the amount of geese that place held from like december 15th on was unreal but lately those birds hang up north of i-80 and they'll sit because all the walmart ponds and all that stuff and they tend to stay up there 
to like the last two weeks of season, then they seem to get a real good push. But the last two weeks of season used to be the last forty-five days of season. Gotcha. Do you think? Do you think some of that, like you know, how's the weather been up in Illinois? Like, because I know in Arkansas, the last couple of years, we really have not got the weather that that we really deserve, to be honest, um, for all the effort and work we put into it, we should be getting a little bit of colder weather, but you know, it's mother nature. So no one can control that. Do you guys, do you think you've seen a shift in birds being up in Illinois? Yeah. I, I personally just don't think we get enough snow anymore. Like when we do get snow, we can get hammered and we can get eight inches, but it's gone in five days. Mm -hmm. Like we don't have snows that, sit on the ground for two, three weeks. Right. Yeah, you might see patches, but the ground's not covered. Right. The birds can still get the food. Right. Does that, does, does, does Illinois still kind of hold the, the true tail to waterfowl, like the shittier the weather, the better it is? Most days. Otherwise, it's just plain shitty. <laughs> <laughs> Got to have shitty weather or other, if you don't, then it's just no good. Yeah, I've tried the shitty weather, weather thing and, some days it's just should have stayed home. I've been caught up in so many bad hunts thinking it was going to be so good. Yeah. I, well, I mean, as we all know, I mean, weather drives these ducks to feed. It drives them to, to move. It drives them to fly around and find new food sources. And if, if you don't have the weather, those ducks, excuse me, those ducks just stay stagnant and, and lazy, to be honest. Oh, yeah. The, the weather has a lot to do with it, but – I mean, there's been days where I thought it was going to be good, and it just got – the weather went way beyond where I thought it was going mm -hmm. and got caught in ice, snow, buried trucks in fields, buried rangers in fields, and luckily they were all fields that people we knew really well, and we weren't going to get kicked out, and we just had to help them chisel up the next year. <laughs> That's brutal. That's brutal. Let's talk about – so you got into photography a little bit. Yeah, so-so. I'd like to think I'm decent at it, but I'm not a pro by any means. Yeah, no, me neither. So we're, 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 in the, we're on the same, same page there. Um, you know, what, like, well, what kind of camera do you have? Uh, I shoot a Canon 7D that I actually got on a steal from a kid in Kansas City last spring. I shot Nikon before that, and I just didn't like it. And that Canon body I got from a kid for way less than what it was supposed to be. Yeah, R.T. Bailey, if you're listening, did you hear that? Nikon can suck one. I don't know how he shoots Nikon. <laughs> I saw that during work weekend, and I kept just staring at it. Because I shot a Nikon for two years, and I just could not get the hang of it. It, uh, it, would, it would fit R.T., though. R.T. Hey, makes it work. He comes out with some fire. Oh, R.T.'s pictures are awesome. Dude. Like, his video editing is great. Like, I mean, that's, I can't that's why that's why that's why he has a full that's why he has a full time job. So a little a little shout out to RT Bailey. He's the uh, camera camera and media guy at Habitat Flat. So um, he he sends me Snapchats every other day or or so, and he he looks like he's having fun, having a good time. So I'm super happy for him. Um, that is one kid I've never seen not smiling though. He dude, he's he's always in a good mood. It seems like always. Yeah, maybe he'll learn. <laughs> if hey if he's got a camera in his hand honestly for, i mean it's just it, that's his passion too you can kind of just tell when he has a camera in his hand he just loves being there in the moment i mean he just loves he just loves doing what he's doing um but he's just a, just a good human anyway regardless to be around and whatnot but um but like what inspires you to pick up a camera uh the fact that I can't shoot my client's birds with a gun. So why not do it with a camera? And honestly, like dogs, dog pictures are like one of the main reasons I picked up a camera mm -hmm. because here. I can't like even talk about all the good dog pictures I've seen and dogs are only here for so many years. And the fact of people catching really good pictures like they do of them, I wanted to be able to do that with my dogs. I got you. Well, that's cool. Yeah, it's, honestly, that's really the same exact reason that I did. I had, you know, uh, Josh Albers, we had him on an episode. I looked up to him. 
uh, Ed Wall too, but he's obviously both of them are professionals. Um, but you still look up to those guys and you see what they're kind of producing, and putting out. And it's like, well, man, I like, I'm out here enough. I'm doing it. Like I should, I should try to pick up a camera and do the same thing. So I, I the same, and the dog pictures too, like a dog coming up out of the water with a duck in its mouth or a dog going, coming, staying, it don't matter. I just always love dog pictures too. So does RT. Yeah. That and then like every, everybody has kill pictures and pile pictures and those are cool and everything. But like personally, the pictures of people don't know are getting taken are always the best ones. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. It's exact, And that's exactly what Josh Albers said too. Uh, and RT Bailey. Um, and hell, Chris, we had Christina wing on and she's a hell of a photographer too. And I feel like, anyone who who knows photography says that same exact line the best pictures are those ones that no one knows you're taking the picture no one knows like you're not planning for it just is kind of that thing that just spontaneously happens and it happens all natural those are the best pictures yeah by far the best pictures um did you like were you self-taught like do you watch videos did you like reach out to someone i honestly thought this can't be that hard. Picked up a camera. Could not figure it out. <laughs> so I started watching YouTube, started asking people. Like, and I don't know anybody around here that does photography. Uh-huh. Like, so I just watched YouTube and started adjusting things. And I mean, I still don't know everything my camera does, but I make it work for the pictures I need. Yeah, I hear it. Yeah, I'm I'm the same exact way. You are speaking my my straight up lingo, I swear. So so you come from going to Illinois, you're you started in Illinois, you're guiding there. What got you to being a Habitat Flats guide? Cuz that's I mean, that's a pretty big jump. I mean, Habitat Flats, anyone who duck hunts and who's into it knows exactly what Habitat Flats is. Um one that's an awesome accomplishment that you're a guide there. Uh, probably just right there it just shows what kind of guy you are and what kind of uh, oh I don't I don't want you guys to misunderstand me I said guy like what kind of dude what kind of man you are uh, for just being a good human going there and guiding but also being a good guide it's got to show a lot for you working at somewhere like that so what kind of got you that opportunity honestly like I ended the season two years ago in Illinois, and I wasn't happy with the amount of birds I saw. I wasn't happy with the amount of birds we killed, and just it was wasn't working. So I decided I'm leaving. I'm leaving the state to hunt. I can't do it here anymore. And so I first person I emailed was Tony, and it was shot in the dark. I met Tony years ago at Presley's, and there's no way you remembered me from that. He emailed me back. He said, we're actually looking to add a couple guys, send me some call files, send me a resume. So had it back to him within the day. Didn't hear from him, didn't hear from him. Then he posted that they were looking for guides. I emailed him just to make sure he had my stuff. He said, yeah, don't worry about it. Got invited to work weekend that year. And there were six of us. They ended up taking three. So we all just built, we built half pint and then we built Severance Crossing together and just hung out with all the guides and the guides kind of decided who was going to stay. And that's how I got the opportunity, just a shot in the dark and somehow work. Shoot or shoot, just to let you know. Just take your shots when you get them. (laughs) Whether they're there or not, you got to do it. I love it. That's an awesome. That's an awesome story. Um, is to- how is Tony? He's a good dude. I love Tony. He's fun to be around. We go to his house. We get invited over for dinner, have a couple beers, and I mean, he's really relaxed. But he is honestly one of the hardest working people I've ever met. Really? Well, be- yeah. For for having what he has, uh, it, it it does not surprise me at all. No, like, I mean, we definitely do the grunt work, but I don't blame him because if I ran that too, I would not be doing grunt work. Yeah, uh, yeah, he, he, probably, he probably did grunt work a long, long time, probably before you and I were even ever thought of. 
Oh yeah, some of the stories. <laughs> I mean, you hear about it all, and it's not to say he comes and helps too. Right. But he pays us for a reason, and that's why we're there. And he's a fun guy to have around. Yeah, that's that's awesome. How do you, how do you think Habitat Flats is different from other guide services? Not maybe in the in the fact that like you can touch on it if you want, like maybe like what you guys offer, but maybe just like the lodging or um, the group of guides that you have, like, what do you think is makes Habitat Flats different from just Joe Schmo down the road? Honestly, like the group of guides is great. We don't all get along a hundred percent of the time, but like that's expected. We're on top of each other all the time, but we make sure we have a good time. We help each other out when somebody needs it. And I mean, the duck hunting is phenomenal, but you can go to a lot of outfitters and have that same thing. But like the lodging we have, it's home and it feels like that when you're there. And I don't know if that's because I'm there for months on end, but I mean, the food's great. Just, I don't know, the experience with every guide there is a little different. Uh-huh. Like we all have our different things. Everybody does things a little differently. And I think that's kind of what sets us apart. There's just a big family feel to it at dinner. Right. Right. Yeah. I, and I, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I work for Arkansas duck masters and, um, it's that same way. I mean, you, I've gone into other guide services too, to where it's just like, and it, it, I don't need, and everybody doesn't need a lodge, like a grand big, you know, pole barn, you know, barn dominium lodge. Um, that's, you know, all decked out and stuff, but, um, but you know, it, you, it says something when you walk in somewhere and you already, you feel like you're home, you know what I mean? You're like, you're there with your boys, you're there with, you know, your friends and you walk into somewhere and you're already comfortable and you're not walking into a trailer or, or something that's run down and shitty. And it just makes you kind of feel uneasy. Um, cause when you walk into Arkansas duck masters, it literally feels like you're walking into someone's house and it's just, it's home and, um, it's, it's nice. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm at the Grand, which is different than the original lodge, it's our new one. And when you pull up to it, it looks like a big outbuilding. Like that's how it's built. And then when you walk in, like your jaw drops. The lodge is phenomenal. And I think one of the coolest things is when you walk into the shop, there's twenty four lockers for all the clients. So I think the fact like when you get there you get to take all your stuff and you put it in your locker and that's yours for three days and you don't have to keep your dirty boots in your room. You walk out, you put your waders on your locker, you grab your gun, you grab your shells, your bag, and you're out. And yeah. we're all out there with the dogs waiting, rangers ready to go. Like the mornings are fun. Right. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. I wish that's something that I'd love to incorporate at Arkansas duck masters is just a locker because I feel like that gives your client like a sense of like, Hey, this is like, this, this is yours for three days. Like you can do whatever you want with it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. your shells on the left side and gun on the right and your waiters over there. Like it's, it's yours. It's like a custom, it's like a custom kind of thing you can, you can bring clientele, I guess. Yeah. It's fun. Like all of our lockers are upstairs and that's kind of frustrating because you don't want to carry your lockers upstairs or your waiters upstairs every yeah. day. But most of the time they get left by dog kennels and they probably shouldn't, but we're planning on making a waiter rack this year. We'll see how far that gets. I got, I got you. I got you. That's sweet. Uh, working at Habitat Flats, um, how do you think you've grown as a guide, just as a waterfowler, as a guide, as a hunter? Honestly, like there's a lot of killers in North America when it comes to ducks and geese, but like these guys, they're like, they're, real killers everybody's got something different they do and every one of those guys there's something you can learn something from and same way there's a lot of clients that come and they'll make little suggestions that you never thought of and change because of that but it just makes you better in the end and the stories you hear like Tony's stories are fun to listen to it's just there's so much to be learned there yeah yeah, yeah, I, I feel the same way. And Chad, we had him on for an episode, 
um, who, who's my boss, and I learned so much from him. It's just about calling, and I, th- I thought I was a good caller. I mean, I'm not a bad caller, but I thought I was a good caller, and just talking in a line with him on a, on a day that we're, we don't have clients or we're just fun hunting together, um, just learning, just like little stuff, not like nothing major, but just like just like little notes or little things you can look for in birds that, and I'm like looking at him while he's telling me, I'm like, dude, like, why have I never thought about this? So yeah, it's just the stuff that you learn from guiding from other people. Cause you go there and you feel like, you know, you should know everything, but at the end yeah. of the day, you're still learning. Yeah. I mean, we got guys from everywhere too. I mean, we got guys from Illinois, Missouri, Oklahoma, uh, New York, Connecticut, Arkansas, like we're from all over. So it's cool because everybody does stuff a little different. Right. In the grand scheme of things, it's all majority the same, but it's those little things that make hunts that were okay. Really, really good. Yeah. I got, I got you. Um, another question for you. How do you, how do you control your hunts? And I guess what I mean, it's kind of like an open-ended question a little bit, but I guess what I mean is like, you know, do you, you know, do you let your clients, um, you know, like help out or how do you get them involved? Like when I'm guiding, I guess I'm just trying to give you a, a it's an open-ended question. I'm just trying to give you like a little help on the answering it. Like, you know, if I'm guiding and we have a younger guy in the blind or like a, even a kid, I'll get him, I'll give him three decoys so he can throw, you know, three decoys out or, or something for, to have him feel like he's a part of the hunt and he's helping not just like, hey, sit right there in that corner load your three shells and wait it really depends it really depends on the groups i have or Mm -hmm. if we're behind which i mean we're generally not they very seldom are we but like setting the decoy spreads like that's something i do myself because i'm really particular about it like throughout the hunt like we had a kid last year we shot a duck and he asked if he could go get it and we really don't do that often, but it was one of those spots that was really shallow and there's nothing in the water. Let him go out and pick it up. I took pictures of him picking it up, sent it to his dad, and his dad is like super excited about it, about the pictures I got. And then like throughout the hunt, I don't like people calling generally. If I ask you to call, it's because. A lot lost you there for. Hold on, lost, lost you there for a sec. Are you back? You, you there? Yeah. You okay. Me? Yeah. Say that again. When you're, when you're, uh, you don't like people yeah. calling. Yeah, I don't like people calling generally. I mean, those guys are there for sixty days straight hunting these ducks. Like we know what they're doing. We know what they're responding to. Mm-hmm. And the only way we really ask clients to call, which is, I mean, beyond seldom, is if we just need a little extra noise to start pulling some traffic words, but clients are welcome to help pick up at the end. They're welcome to sit down at the end. I don't really care. Help's always nice, but I don't expect it from anybody. And I mean, most clients feel pretty involved in the hunt just because we got a lot going on mm-hmm. the entire time. Yeah. So I, I, I got you. And I'm kind of the same way as well. With, with calling and with, and with decoys. I mean, I'm particular with decoys as well. And people always ask about mojos. I don't know if you guys run mojos, but like, if I don't have to put a mojo out for the rest of my life, I'm okay with it. Um, but like, people always ask like, should we do this? Should we do that? And I'm just, and it's hard to go about clients that are, you know, some clients are cool. They just kick back and like, you know, hell, they don't even care about shooting a duck anyway. They're just there getting away from their kids and their family and just having, and hanging out with the boys and they're just getting away and they could care less about what yeah. goes on. But then you have those clients and it's, and it's good. It's not, it's, it's not good or bad. It's just saying you do have those clients that are more, not needy, but more uh, um, wanting to know, you know, like what they can do or what they should do, or they feel like they should, you know, have their input. And it's just like you said, you know, we we're hunting these ducks. We're here. I've seen them. We've seen, I've, I've been watching these ducks for the last four weeks shuffle around we know what they're doing we know what they're doing we don't we know we don't need to blow them out of the hole and 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 call at them like at a hundred percent then you got the guys who think first group didn't come in we need to change something yeah well 
no, it's just the first group. Just give it time. It works. This has been working. And if we need to change it, we will, but I doubt it. Yeah. It's like, Hey buddy, I can't, I came here four days ago and shot five man limit. So just yeah, that, pipe that's down always the guy who does it, <laughs> who, who knows everything. He knows how to kill every bird. And, and it, it, I mean, all of us just brush it off. It, and you, and you have to, as a guide, you have to, because yeah. they're a paying customer. And it's just, it's just like someone, uh, it's probably a really shitty analogy, but it's just like, a, a waiter or waitress, you know, taking an order and, you know, you got, you, if the guy wants eight waters stacked on top of each other, that's, well, that's what you're going to do because he's asking for it. You know what I mean? This is, you gotta, yeah. you kind of have to do what your clients want to a certain point And you can be like, eh, like, you know, let's yeah, try that. Let's a, try that in a little bit. Let's not try that right now, but let's try that in a little bit. And that's a nice way of saying, Hey, but we're not yeah. going to do that at all. To a certain point, but I don't know about you, but like when I'm guiding, I'm there to, for ducks to get killed. I don't go out to watch birds. I don't go out to have conversations. Yeah, I love talking to the clients and everything, but like my job is for them to kill their birds. That's why I'm out there and that's what I'm gonna make sure happens and I'm not gonna take advice if I don't think it's gonna work. Yep, I hear you. Well, go ahead, I cut you off, sorry. I mean, there's plenty of times like, I'll take little advice from clients and just because it is something that I can learn from. I don't think I know anything, nor will I ever think I know everything there to kill about killing a duck or a goose. But when you're there and you watch birds every day, like you kind of have an idea and it takes a lot to not be in that loop once you're there every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a fact. You said it, you said that really well. Um, what, uh, what, how do you, how do you go and handle, you know, you may have just touched on it. it. May be a bad question, a bad, bad podcast guy here. Uh, how do you go and handle some of those bad? Like, how do you handle the needy clients? How do you handle the, you know, if there's if you don't have such a good group in, um, or or you know, you know from previous years or like a a, a repeat customer that it's just it's going to be a long three days. Like, how do you kind of simple as this? Kill their birds quick and get them out of that blind and back to the lodge and get them fed <laughs> yeah the easiest thing you can do granted doesn't happen every day i mean i remind guys like i'm there every day and i get they want the same thing as me to kill birds but i know what's going on and i don't argue a lot but i lose my cool every once in a while just like everybody does guiding we had a guy and it was 20 minutes before shooting light last year. And it was one of those bright mornings. You could see birds and he's just screaming at birds on his calls. Oh, and man. I looked at him and I go, what are you doing? Well, I'm just tuning up. I don't know what you're tuning up <laughs> for. On. I was like, they're, they're obviously coming here and we're still 20 minutes before light. I was like, you don't need to be calling the birds. I was like, and I'll handle it when it's time comes he goes well is it illegal to call it birds before shooting night i said oh honestly God. i don't know if it's illegal but it's probably something i don't want to be doing because i don't want a co sitting at the side of the road watching for something to go wrong right i mean we do everything legal and that's something that's a gray area that does not fly yeah told him to put his calls away put his calls away well then about 20 minutes in the hunt i think we had like 10 birds dead there were some pintails and he whips out a whistle oh, and geez. it's just it's that guy though it's that guy yeah and i didn't know what to even say about it but it sounded like a referee on a basketball court <laughs> and it was one of the most frustrating things and we had one bird left all i could think is somebody just shoot the next bird that comes Finally had one come in like 25 yards and got killed. I'm like, all right, we're done. Let's get out of here. Yikes. You should have just started teeing him up from down the end of the blind. Oh, God. I don't know. He's, hey, Cam, I didn't know Cam, what Cam, to he's do. Just, he's, just tuning, he's just tuning up, baby. He's just tuning up. He also <laughs> told me. He also That's told awesome. Me that he, he knows us guys steal bands and all this. and What? I was like. So he's like, so that he was like already pushing your buttons. Like he was like trying oh. to like. Oh yeah. He was, he wasn't a real pleasant guy to have in town. 
And I'm like, man, you can just look, you can look at every duck's leg that I pick up. I don't care about the bands on these birds. Except, except got, this I mean, one I got in my pocket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kidding, 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 everybody kidding. But he was, yeah, he was very, I don't even know how to explain that guy. He was just there. I got you. And his, his buddies were noticeably getting annoyed. Oh, and really? Yeah. And there's one of those, like, there's always that guy in a group. Mm-hmm. Most groups, though, can tame him, I feel like. And yeah. tell him to shut up. Yeah, and and, their job. and that guy can also be on different levels. He could be like a nine out of ten annoying and and needy and you know whatever whatever you just described, or he can be like a two out of ten, and you can kind of just get through it. But but speaking of doing things by the book, Toe Tags LLC, home of the original waterproof waterfowl tagging solution. If you're hunting just up the road or across U.S. and Canada, make sure you're transporting and storing tag birds to avoid hardy fines and possible jail time. For a complete list of products, please visit www.totagsllc.com or find them on Facebook and Instagram. Again, that's Totags LLC for all your tagging needs. I am killing these ad reads these last couple episodes. It's amazing. Um, was never a good reader. Never really read a book in college, but I am killing these ad reads. Almost sounds scripted. Mm. What is script? I'm reading off my phone, but like I know. But 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 I sh- you know there's a couple words in there that I probably should be uh, stumbling over. But I've also read it like nine times, so you know I'm just you know dust dusting the dust off uh, the old vocabulary here and getting getting it done. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, we use those toe tags, and it's nice. I mean, I always have my guys fill them out the night before a hunt keep the date off of them just by some stroke of luck. Somebody doesn't shoot something the day next. They can mm-hmm. use the next day they're there. But I have them all fill them out, leave birds, date empty. I put it in my blind bag. And then when the hunt happens, as soon as someone kills a duck, I give them their tag, and then we fill out the species at the end. And they're really not as difficult as everybody makes them sound. No, they're not. And really, I mean – you can go back and listen to Ryan Warden's episode that we have on the guide series podcast. I mean, there are so many, there are so much rules and regulations that go into tagging birds properly. And it honestly, if you don't, not that you have to have toe tags. I mean, you should, because it's simple. They're waterproof. Yeah, it's They're easy. They're no easy. Point. Right. But you should have some tagging solution, make it toe tags LLC, by the way, but I'm just saying, uh, <laughs> but you should have some tagging solution because it just keeps, it just keeps people off your back. If you walk out of the field and they're there, you want your T's crossed and your eyes dotted and you want to make sure you have your shit taken care of. Cause that is the worst conversation to get into when you ask you, Hey, whose birds are those? And if you don't know, especially as a guide, if you don't know, you're in deep shit. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing is, like, I'm not losing my job because somebody's not going to tag their birds. Like, I'll Absolutely. fill your tag out if you really need to because it's not that big of a hassle. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll do it for you. I'm not losing my job, though. Absolutely. Like, you can't. You, you can't afford to. No, our birds don't leave the field without getting tagged. They don't go to the processor without paperwork. They don't go to uh, our taxidermist without paperwork everything's tagged everything's filled out before birds leave or come to the lot that's really smart and we're we're the same way at arkansas duck masters um we yeah we 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 take care of that all in the front end so um what but that kind of gets me into this subject too what do you you know as a guide what do you do in the mornings um you know when you get everything in the like when you throw the decoys out you come back to the blind you know there is there a certain thing you tell every group in the morning like you know hey this is you know this is what's going to happen you know this is what i'm thinking that's going to happen uh blah 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 just make sure your guns are like do you go over safety at all with them or how do you how do you go about that as a guide yeah mine's honestly pretty easy like we all kind of have our little safety speeches in the morning kind of let them know where the birds are going to come from by that point we got an idea in season where birds are going to come from obviously you get surprises I just tell guys, safeties don't come off till they come out of the blind. You shoot when my dog's out, or you shoot when I'm out of the blind and the hunt's over. I'm not discussing that because I'm not losing my dog. He's my best friend. I'm not getting shot. 
just because I don't want to get shot. Shot. Secondly, if you don't know what a duck is, ask. I'll help you. And after that, don't talk when I'm calling because I'm not calling for fun. That's pretty much it. Keep your faces down. Let's get Love it. Way. Love it. It gets the point across, and it probably it probably sets the, it probably sets the tone for the rest of the for the rest of the hunt. I always, and not saying you don't. I always just say, and hey, remember, we're gonna have fun no matter no matter what happens. We're gonna have fun. So, hope, yeah, hopefully, I always kind of have that little like yeah talk on the way because it's a cold ranger ride and you got to kind of talk a little bit. Yeah, you do. You do. You got yeah. You kind of got to get their minds off uh, the old sixteen degree wind blowing smacking them right in the face oh yeah we got windshields now though (laughs) oh there you go habitat flash is doing it big time baby (laughs) gotta gotta have the full windshield that's awesome what uh what do you have any tips for anyone maybe like you know hopefully hopefully there we're reaching out to some people out there and younger guys maybe that or you know are wanting or interested in being a guide like and you've been a guide one at a very prestigious place and in Illinois you started there as well do you, what do you tips do you have for anyone that's wanting to get into guiding um what they should kind of be expecting something along those lines honestly if you're thinking about getting into guiding do it you don't have to do it as your career you have only so many years in your 20s or late teens whatever it be guide do it for a year if you don't like it you don't like it you're not set back when you do it, get away from your hometown. Go have some fun, meet some new people because it opens a lot of opportunity. Leaving for Habitat Flash, that was always the place I wanted to be. And when I finally got the job, I was excited, but the day I left, I was scared shitless because I'd never left my hometown or within 45 minutes. And doing it was one of the best things I ever did. It's awesome. It, and you're not going to get an email back from every outfit you email, but just pick 20 and send them an email, send them call files, send them your resume. Don't ask what they want in your first email. Just make it professional and just send them all their stuff because they'll notice you that way. And if you're professional about it, you're going to get noticed a little better. And that's pretty much how I see it. And like I said, if you're thinking about doing it, just do it. Otherwise, you're going to be 50, working a job, and you're going to wonder what would have happened if you would have done it. Yeah, absolutely. You said it best right there. That's fucking awesome. I love that. That actually got me pumped up. Um, what attributes do you think, like, makes a good guide? You know, do you, is, it, is it calling? Is it uh, obviously being a guide, you've got to know a little bit about um, reading ducks and when knowing what they want on a certain day versus what they want on another day, um, handling clients, being a people person, uh, what kind of attributes do you think makes a good guide? Honestly, if you can't talk to people, if you don't like people, don't guide. <laughs> Cause you're because stuck with, you're stuck in a little small uh, place with them for a couple yeah. hours. Like, like if you're not a people person, do not guide because you're around a lot of people and they're not people that are your best friends or people you have to learn to like and that you have to help doing something you're used to. And like anybody can be a good caller. That's practice. But like learning how to work birds, pay attention to birds, that's where it really comes in. That's where good callers are great callers. Like I know guys who can run a goose call but they don't watch birds. They just think throwing every note at them is going to work. So just take time on hunts to realize what birds are doing to like your calls and how they react. And that's just going to make you a better hunter, let alone a better guide. Mm -hmm. You'll learn the birds in your area, regardless of where you are. Mm -hmm. And just pay attention. That's the two things I'd say is, Pay attention, be aware, and be a people person. And, yeah, and I, you, yeah, you said exactly right. Uh, being a people person, it, I, it, I think is huge. One, it just it, you, it, like you said earlier, in another question I asked, it just your connections that you make. You know, they, those connections of random people that you meet are, you know, will. I, there's probably a lot of guides out there who guided and who have a job with someone they met guiding. 
I mean, yeah. it, that ha- it happens all the time. So just the people that you meet, the connections that you that's, make. That's what's fun. Yeah, Go that's ahead. what's fun about the waterfowl industry. Is like, we're all there to do the same thing. There's a few bad apples, but everybody's willing to work together. And I mean, there's plenty of birds for everybody. Being guides or self-hunters, like the, I don't know why people fight each other over hunting ground. Work with each other, and the waterfowl industry is like that now. Everybody likes to work with each other. There doesn't seem to be a lot of bad blood. There's just like make friendships, and yeah, you're not gonna get along with everybody, but in the end, the more people you know, the better you're gonna be, and the farther along you're gonna be. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know when you run like a boat into a tree in the timber you got to be a people person to kind of laugh at yourself and to make sure everyone's aware that you know you can still do your job and that we can we can laugh about the mistakes you make as a guide yeah that's, everybody that's, that's just up. from that's just from personal experience because i everybody I, fucks up. I got the humility to say hey when i when i fuck up i'll be the first one to say it and i'll probably start laughing at myself for it so that's just part of being uh, that's just me being a people person right there um there you go that's probably one of the best things you can be as a guide is learning how to just take it as it comes yeah because not every morning runs the way it's supposed to it doesn't it doesn't i That's... showed up to a hole one day Go ahead. and we ran ice eaters all night run them off generators and i show up to my hole in the morning we already didn't go out to like 9 a.m because it was so cold birds weren't moving until like 10 o'clock mm-hmm. i get to my spot and there is every bit of two inches of ice on this hole oh. it was open the night before go check the generator generator's got like three quarter tank of gas and it cut out which just happens there's nothing you can do it was like 10 degrees the night before with a wind chill so i told the guys i was like i don't like, obviously can't hunt it like this right now i was like give me a minute didn't panic turned on the ice eaters called make sure they got started and they did and broke ice made a little bit of a hole pushed ice underneath let the ice eaters run for 30 45 minutes whatever while we were there i told the clients hey let's go show you some stuff like we're not gonna be able to hunt this just yet took them on kind of a little tour around spots because i knew nobody else was in the area i was in i wasn't gonna bug anybody else took them back to the line got everything set up killed a couple ducks and like they loved how I was able to just show them stuff and they had time to do that because they got yeah. to kill ducks eventually. Yeah. You exactly. have to learn to be able to roll with everything because it's not smooth always. No. I mean, especially for, for like just waterfowl guys in general. I mean, you're, you're going out there, you're in the mud, you're in the muck, it's cold. It's, it can be windy. It can be snowy. The conditions are shitty it's not like, I mean, people like you and me love it, right? We, I mean, we love it, but you know, re- normal people who are coming there to hunt, they don't sometimes want to be in all that shit all the time. No, they don't get it. And they, and they don't get it. And, and it's, and it's fine. We're just, we're just bred differently, you know, but you got to be able to learn to just roll with what comes and, and kind of think on your toes, like, okay, just like you did, you know, just like you did it's hunting is not the most important thing right now we're going to be able to hunt we can, we got all day to hunt but let's let this thing thaw out and let's get in there and then hunt them afterwards when it's the warmest part of the day yeah i can probably count i would say less than half of the days i've guided have gone perfect there's oh. always something that goes wrong yeah everything's like, everything's against you yeah at, i don't know at, how many at some times point. i've gone out you said about mojos, like you'd never want to set another one if you didn't have to. Same way. Because I've had more issues with spinners than anything else. I don't know how many times I've charged one, gone out, started it, runs for 10 minutes, and then locks up. Yeah. Or wing falls in the water, gone. There's always something that goes wrong. Yeah, I, yeah go ahead. It's about how you make it work. It is, but yeah. It's all... Hold on, hold on, I'm losing you again. Hold on, it won't be, it won't be too long. Hold on, let me get you back. You good? Hold on, hold on, everybody. You that, you there, Cam? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, you, 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 yeah, you and Arkansas people and Wi-Fi is unbelievable. Every every time I get an Arkansas yeah, guest, yeah. every every time I get an Arkansas guest on here, their Wi-Fi is just terrible. A, AT&T or whoever does not visit those states. Must not. No, Arkansas is not a good place. No, not a good place at all. But go ahead with what you're saying about Mojo. But, like, I mean, you never know what's going to happen. I have my dog. My dog pissed on a guy's blind bag. And I really didn't know how to react. And this was before I was with HF and setting up stuff. And he – there's my old dog who passed away. He just walked over and lifted his leg. and I mean, just pissed all over this guy's blind bag. And this dog, when he pissed on grass, killed grass. So it was not coming in the blind with me, even though my dog did it. So I had to make a deal with the guy. And I don't remember what it was. We got it settled and worked out. But That's hilarious. <laughs> It wasn't at the time, like, I did want to laugh, but I also knew, like, this guy paid to come hunt and have a dog piss on his blind bag. Why, 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 why won't dogs piss on the guy's blind bag that's just being that needy, just, be, just being that kind of guy, you know? That's, that's when you need your dog to go piss on his blind bag. Then it becomes funny then. But dogs are never dicks around terrible people. I know. It's amazing. It's amazing. They're just lovers, man. I got one myself. Um Real quick, if you're looking to pick up a new set of outdoor gear and apparel this fall or want to get cash for your unwanted gear, check out our friends at CamoRetro.com. CamoRetro is a great place to find pre-owned or new gear, especially the timeless vintage and old school styles or camo patterns that you can't find in store today. Create your free seller account for $5 off your next order or use code GUIDESERIES5 for 5% off their hand-picked camo retro collection. That's Guide Series 5, all lowercase, no spaces, and the number 5. Follow Camo Retro on Instagram and create your seller account on CamoRetro.com today. Um, we we're talking about uh, – have you ever – oh, first off, have you ever been to Camo Retro? No. You should check it out. They got some unbelievable cool things. Uh, it's it's – yeah, go, go check it out. Spread the word. Camo Retro. It's a, it's a small, newer company – um it's got all this venta like this vintage ducks and like you know there's vintage ducks unlimited hats that your probably your grandpa had like is that what it is is all old shit all it's it's just like all vintage camo collector's items you can go in there and sell it it's it is it is the coolest kind of thing going right now um that's awesome you're gonna see me guiding in one of those like full body suits of bottomland dude absolutely og bottomland og but uh uh, where, I had another. Um, oh, this is what I want to get to. What? Uh, we're, and we're going to wrap this up here. There's one more. My last question, and then we're going to get into stories. So, kind of be thinking while you're talking, which I can't do. I'm glad I'm not you. Um, what's your trick that you kind of have up your sleeve as a guide? You know, like, are you a joke teller? Are you the guy who cooks breakfast? Like, we don't cook breakfast at Arkansas Duck Masters, but if we were to, I'd be the guy to cook breakfast, you know. Um, what's kind of like your trick up your sleeve that you got going with your clients or that you usually try to try to involve? Honestly, I have just a lot of good stories from college and past hunting trips. And I can always lean on stuff like that. Like college was wild. It was fun. Our hunting trips, like my buddies are just some of the most out there people. Like they love everybody but somebody always has a joke or somebody does something dumb. Like mm-hmm. it's gonna happen. Yeah. That's pretty much my easiest trick up the sleeve is just stories about all the stuff I've done. Like funny wise. I got you. Everybody loves a funny story. Everybody does. Everybody. You can't beat them. And that, I'm, I'm the same way. I got buddies that I hunt with in college, Gary being one of them. He's an absolute dodo bird and me and him have done some stupid, stupid stuff. And so usually 90% of my stories I tell my clients involve, involve Gary. So, yeah. 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 I have a couple of buddies that most of them are in all the stories. Gary, where you at? Oh, that's right. You're not here. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get buddy. I'm going to give you shit for a, a couple good weeks after this. Um, 
stories, man, lay it on me. I know you told a couple already and they've been really good. Do you have like a one or two good stories that maybe even from like Habitat Flats or something that you ran into or just a story um, in general? I mean, I got a lot of stories, you know, a lot of stories that probably shouldn't be told on a podcast. I but you. I don't know. I had this kid last year who was 10 years old. And I was looking at, I remember looking at him at the lodge and thinking, how are you going to shoot a gun? Well, first day I get him and his dad, and that was the only two I took, which is the way I'd wanted if I had it. Took him out. We had this foggy morning, and his dad's telling me he wants him to shoot his first duck. I'm thinking, oh, I got to get birds on the water. Sat down. Like, this kid was small. So... 10 minutes after shooting my we have like 12 teal laying in the decoys i'm like perfect i was like perfect. kill them you can always count on the teal <laughs> oh yeah and i'm like watching these birds i'm like shoot shoot and i look over and he can't he's up mounted he goes, i can't see the birds i can't see the birds and i mean they're right there they flew off i'm like oh god there's our one shot today for birds on the water because, I mean, it was going to be like 55 degrees, I think, that day. It wasn't 10 minutes later, and I looked to my left, and I see three birds coming. And, I mean, balls of the walls, like, getting it. And three pintails, all drakes. And these things were moving. Scoot. Call the shot at, like, 20 yards. Kid comes up, and I hear one shot. And I'm looking, I don't see anything because they went over the blind. And he goes, I got one, I got one. His dad looks at me, his eyes are wide open like he didn't hit anything. He thinks he did, though. Well, everything got quiet and I hear some splashing on the water. And I stand up out of the pit behind us, the bull sprig on the water, dead as a doornail, splashing. And, like, that was one thing I'll never forget, kid's first bird, mature pintail. Right after that, had a single greenhead come in. Kid just pumps at it 15 yards. This thing didn't have a chance. Dead. After that, we have a lone Canada come in. One shot, kid just stones this one dead. This is all with like a 20-gauge sixes. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus. By the end of the day, I think the kid killed three drakes, three drake mallards and a pintail and a goose. Really? Uh, it was, I mean, I think he missed once the entire time. That's I don't great. know if it's because he didn't shoot, want to shoot his follow-up shots, but like every time his gun went off once. That was it. That's crazy. So he was just, he was just a stone-cold killer then. Oh, he was born and bred to be it. That's awesome. And I, I remember that afternoon we went out, and I had a JJ Lairs T1 in my blind bag, and he was, he kept eyeing my lanyard and wanted to blow my calls. I'm like, here's this, because we all blow Mondos, and I didn't figure he'd be able to do that. So I hand him this T1. Next two hours, he's just calling and calling and calling. I mean, he doesn't know what he's doing, but he's making noise, and I'm trying to help him. And he just had a blast, so we got back to the lodge, and I searched through all my stuff, and I found an old Echo, gave that to him, gave him a single drop lanyard. Like, the next morning I came out, and I'm looking from the top, and, like, it's, like, 4.30 in the morning, and this kid's sitting on the ground putting his waders on. He's already got that duck haul around his land or around his neck. Like, that's why I like doing this stuff. That's what's fun. That's awesome. That's a hell of a story right there. And yeah, that's how I was going to end this uh, episode. That's why, that's why we do it. That's for those moments right there. That's exactly why we do it. And you know, it's, it's a job at the end of the day, right? It's a job at the end of the day, but you get that satisfaction and you get to grow the game and make connections and do everything that, you know, we do day in and day out. It's the hard work. You like the summer work, your guys work days, and then you go and see that, you know, during the season, you're like, hmm, oh, it all pays off. evens out. It mm-hmm. all comes 
like all comes around and yeah you don't do it so you can sleep in tight quarters with six dudes some of which don't shower every day like that's not why you do it like it's the stuff like you see during the days and that's the one thing is like so we had one hunt this year last day of season clients left and i mean it was cold and everything was iced up there wasn't a lot of birds left all the clients left and one of the guys goes hey let's go hunt together like us guys never get to hunt together so we go set up an a-frame on this uh output and it was a shot in the dark and snowy one of the guys he goes hey we got there's a duck to our right there's a couple ducks to our right there's a lot of ducks to our right we all turn we start calling four of us guys and we had a group of probably a hundred that just swung and we had birds dumping out at like 25 30 yards well all of us have been guiding all of us know what to do nobody called a shot we sat there they landed wide at like 80 yards and we just looked at each other like was somebody going to call a shot and everybody thought somebody else was going to do it? Well, we're used to doing it and we figured somebody would do it. No. Stead watched a group of 80 to 100 mallards land at like 80 yards. <laughs> That's Ended up awesome. killing like two. That was it. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. But stuff That's... like that's fun since we all don't get to hunt together and do stuff yeah. like that. When, when the guys get together, uh, it's, always, it's always a good time. Always a good time. That's that's a fact. Oh yeah, so, that's a fact. Well, man, I'm de We're definitely gonna have to give you on. I, I spoke Chinese there. We're definitely gonna have to get you on for a part two because, dude, I loved having you on. You have some awesome stories, great input too. Um, and we're definitely gonna have to get you on. But I think that's all the time we have for tonight. Uh, listeners, go on, subscribe, uh, leave us a review, uh, good or bad. You know, hey, I can take it. But uh, leave us a review. Um, definitely subscribe, rate us, and uh, this will be out Friday morning. And Cam, thanks for coming on the Guide Series podcast, man. You were awesome tonight. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Anytime you need me on, give me a call. I'm happy to do one with you guys. I will. Enjoy it. I will. I appreciate it, man. Yep. Later, Hunter. See ya.